Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Creepy Tech Podcast. This episode is also sponsored by IVC VPN. I've been using a VPN for the past two years, and I recommend it to anyone and everyone that uses public Wi-Fi, travels a lot, or just ends up using hotspots to save on their mobile data plans. IVC VPN is super affordable and it's a secure way to protect yourself from companies who are collecting your data and profiting off of you. IVC VPN also protects you from hackers looking to steal your information. Since I've been recommending it for a while, I found you a way to start protecting your information. As a thank you to you guys, IVC VPN is offering a 20% off discount to Creepy Tech listeners. You can use the discount code TECH20 at check out on their website ivacy.com that's i-v-a-c-y.com if you have any questions about using a vpn feel free to send me a dm and i can walk you through it last of all this week's podcast episode is also brought to you by ZipRecruiter. do you need to hire somebody i know that it's tough finding the perfect candidate for a new position going through applications resumes job boards it takes up way too much time so ZipRecruiter will simplify this whole process for you. They actually send your open jobs to over 100 of the web's leading job sites, and then they use their powerful matching technology to scan thousands of resumes to find you perfect candidates. Not only that, they also invite the candidates that match your posting to apply for your job, and you can even add screening questions so that you can spend less time searching and much more time focusing on the best applicants. It's so simple and effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter, they usually get a quality candidate within the first day. As a thank you for listening to the Creepy Tech Podcast, you can actually try ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash L Champole, that's L-S-H-O-M-P-O-L-E. Or you can head over to lshampole.com and use my ZipRecruiter link at the top of the page. Anyway, that's all the deals that I have for you this week. Let me know if you do end up using them and how the experience is. If you hate it, please let me know so I can stop advertising for them. All right, thank you. Okay, let's jump right into this week's episode. So, This week, we will be doing a deep dive into the tech side of coronavirus, uh, specifically how companies and governments are using apps to track, monitor, and assist with slowing down the spread of the virus. But we are also going to take a look into the recent claims that China is using cyber espionage to collect the research that governments are doing about this virus. Let's take a look into the apps that specifically track the spread of COVID-19. When it comes to our behavior and the places that we go, it's safe to say that over the past few years, it has become much harder for us to keep this kind of information private. When we drive from our house to a new store or a friend's house, we use our cell phone to give us turn-by-turn directions. When we hear a word that we don't know, I do, I quickly unlock my phone and I search on Google. Every single thing that we do in our daily lives is then logged in as a data point, an almost permanent diary of our thoughts, actions, and behavior. 
Today, data has almost become a currency. Companies collect what we provide via social media, our searches, and sometimes even our conversations, like when we use AI personal assistants like Alexa, which I'll cover later on this season. Um, yeah, all of that is logged into a system somewhere. So when it comes to our current situation, we are seeing that COVID-19 has introduced the need to collect more real-time data. Large companies and even the government can now justify their need to know where we go, who we meet, what we bought, and even what we are worried about. According to an article on The Verge, on Friday, Apple and Google announced the system for tracking the spread of the new coronavirus allowing users to share data through Bluetooth Low Energy, also referred to as BLE, uh, transmissions, and they approved apps from health organizations. The new system, which is laid out in a series of documents and white papers, would use short-range Bluetooth communications to establish a voluntary contact tracing network, keeping extensive data on phones that have been in close proximity to each other. Official apps from public health authorities will get access to this data, and users who download them can report if they have been diagnosed with COVID-19. The system will also alert people who download them to whether they were in close contact with an infected person. Since the app itself would use Bluetooth instead of GPS, your physical location would not necessarily be logged. Instead, any nearby phones that are using the app would be logged. If at any point in the near future, which I'm guessing is roughly a few days, um, if any of those users that were close to you notified the app that they do have the virus, then you would also be notified that you were in close proximity to a person that tested positive. They would then advise you to get tested as well, just in case. They've also stated that the app itself has set up protections that prevent specific users from being easily identified. Now, I've included a quick infographic on the episode um, on the website elshampole.com that explains how the app itself works. Anyway, while this is going to assist with tracking of the spread of the virus, there's some downsides to installing the actual app. Uh, for instance, number one, the app itself does not take into account how long users were in close proximity, whether they were talking to each other, sharing the same card reader while checking out at the grocery store, or even whether you are actually in the same room since it's simply logging proximity based on Bluetooth reach. You could be in the same building, but separated by a wall from the other individual, but the app wouldn't necessarily know that. Number two, it also doesn't take into account how up-to-date your phone is or how good of a connection you have. Meaning, if an infected individual is right next to you, but the Bluetooth isn't enabled until they get back home, it wouldn't pick it up. Last of all, <laughs> developers would need to take into account the possibilities of hackers submitting false information, like testing results, either positive or negative, depending on what their intentions are. This could lead to an increase in spreading unnecessary fear, uh, misinformation. It could also lead to some serious mental health concerns for cases where individuals are notified of, of positive contact as a result of pranksters submitting fake testing results. These developers will need to figure out a way to verify that individuals were tested via reputable and verifiable means. So I'm sure most of you have heard that large warehouses and even smaller businesses or schools have had to shut down because of employees or students calling in sick and stating falsely 
that they may have the virus symptoms. As a precaution and to follow government guidelines, these businesses were required to shut down and disinfect their facilities, meaning an increase in downtime and a loss of income for all of their employees. This is something that does happen, so any technology introduced to assist with tracing would need to account for false reports. As always, our search for information in times of crisis can lead to some pretty interesting websites. Most recently, there have been reports that the interactive map created by the John Hopkins Medical website was infiltrated by hackers looking to capitalize on the coronavirus media coverage to download malware on your devices as you attempt to use their interactive map. According to an investigation by Reason Security, some of these coronavirus maps contain serious malware known as AZORULT. Using AZORULT, a hacker can steal your browser history and social media login information access your bank accounts or cryptocurrency vaults, and they can even gain full remote access to the infected device. Now, <laughs> since individuals are trying to consistently get the most up-to-date information, searches for these kinds of interactive maps that track the progression of the virus have increased significantly. Websites that are making these maps available have seen a huge uptick in their daily traffic. As expected, when hackers see trending words, sites, or behaviors, they invest their time into creating and designing malware that can be distributed and downloaded through these high-traffic mediums. I've definitely noticed a significant increase in the amount of spam calls, emails, and random subscription notifications. I think I've gotten at least 10 Welcome to Netflix um, emails in the past month. Uh, even though I do say that, I have not used this particular interactive map setup, but I do believe that my data has been collected somewhere, uh, possibly through the research that I've been doing, and um, it has been used to sign up for random things. More so during this time than ever before. And the scariest part um, is that although I'm pretty diligent when it comes to protecting my information, there is no true foolproof way to protect everything 100%. Just because uh, technology is advancing at such a fast pace that keeping up uh, with hackers is getting kind of difficult. But if you have used the interactive map, uh, lifehacker.com advises that you should uninstall it and perform a virus scan immediately. It is also worth running a scan if you installed any other coronavirus-related apps or software recently. It's likely coronavirus map is just one of many coronavirus-related scams. If you're adamant about having constant and up-to-date updates on the virus spread, um, I suggest that you just don't click on any strange links, uh, don't actually download anything onto your system, and do a virus scan every single night. <laughs> yeah, it's serious. Other than that, I would say some basics for you to protect yourself from downloading any malware or being hacked. There are some additional ways to protect yourself and these basics include the following. Uh, you can turn on your two-step verification for every online account that you have that supports it, especially your email provider. Um, you can also set up recovery email addresses that notify you whenever someone has accessed your other email. Uh, in addition to that, you can make sure to use a different password for each individual account. 
One key thing is do not use a free VPN service. We all hate paying for apps, but free usually means that you are the product. Uh, you should probably use a trusted VPN service that you pay a monthly subscription for. It's more likely that they use your monthly payments to provide the service rather than making money from selling your information, your behavior, and your profiles. You can also make sure that you don't click on any suspicious links. Uh, yes, that includes random links sent on iMessage or WhatsApp, even if it comes from someone in your contacts list. Uh, you should always make sure you ask them what the link is and why they sent it. And last of all, you can come up with pretty creative answers for your security questions. People can pretty easily find out your mother's maiden name, where you graduated from high school, with a quick and simple Google search. So you should consider answering like a crazy person. <laughs> um, if Bank of America asks, what was the name of your first boyfriend or girlfriend? You can reply, your mom. Just don't forget that that's how you answered when they ask you again. So those are just some basics, but they will definitely help keep you a bit safer online now that we are all working remotely and spend more time online. The very last part of this episode is another deeper dive into the levels of hacking. I believe that hacking is usually influenced by intention. So for us individuals, hacking means accessing our personal information. Uh, which is used to either access our financials or our information can be used as a product to be sold to interested parties. Uh, those interested parties typically need identities or an additional means to make money. For governments, hacking means gaining access to information that can be used to further the goals of the country. Uh, whether that information is used to get an upper hand politically or used to improve resources and influence society, that's up to the country doing the attacking. Recently, a few news outlets have been discussing cyber espionage in connection to coronavirus research. These attempts to steal research information have been specifically targeting the UK and the US, but China has also been attacked by Vietnam, so nobody is safe at this moment. As I was reading a BBC article, they stated the following, quote, the U.S. has seen foreign spy agency carrying out reconnaissance of research into a coronavirus vaccine. This was said by a senior U.S. intelligence official named Bill Evanina. Bill is a director of the National Counterintelligence and Security Center, and he said that the U.S. government had warned medical research organizations of the risks but he could not say whether there had been confirmed cases of actual stolen data. UK security sources also say they have seen similar activity. So the goal of these attacks is pretty simple. Due to the quickly spreading virus, countries are trying to get as much information as possible to assist them in the creation of a vaccine. Understandably, the country that successfully creates a safe vaccine stands to gain a financial advantage and benefit while also securing their status, possibly as a superpower, simply based on how their citizens as well as governments around the globe view their ability to respond during a crisis. The UK and the US have information that points to Russia and China as the sources of these attacks, 
while China has reported attacks from Vietnam. So for the U.S., the more recent interference from Russia and China in political matters may be signs that the motivation behind the attacks do have more layers than what is being reported. Which brings me to the question, what does this mean for us individuals? Well, there's a few things that are impacted by this. Foreign espionage can cause mass disruptions to the economy because markets rely on consumer trust in the supply and demand of goods or jobs. Once individuals begin to see market instability, they begin to stop spending on things that are not necessary to live. So, less spending overall. This then leads to less demands for goods being manufactured, which ends up meaning a decrease in business profits and ends up with companies needing to fire workers because they are no longer making enough to pay them, which is something that we have seen play out over the last few months. I do believe that the U.S. had over 30 million individuals file for unemployment in mid-March of 2020. Next, uh, this impacts mental health. Even though foreign espionage doesn't necessarily lead to a decline in mental health of individuals directly, it does end up playing a small role. In this case, due to the combo of global lockdowns, meaning that individuals are separated from society and physical interactions, and the resulting increase in media coverage of not only the spread of the coronavirus, but also the targeted attacks from foreign governments, we are starting to see that there may end up being an increase in depression and suicide. In addition to this increase, the infrastructure set up to help individuals address their mental health are also not readily available. Sure, there's telehealth and hotlines, but a lot can be missed during these sessions. Last of all, foreign espionage affects our perception of the information we are seeing on the news and media. Over the past decade, we have begun to rely on readily accessible information via the internet. We have also begun to realize that while this information is readily available, it may not be accurate and in some cases it may actually be intentionally misleading. What's worse is that the quality of this misleading information is continuously improving, leading us to question whether what we are reading is factually accurate or if it just looks and sounds real but is factually inaccurate or false which introduces additional stress and uncertainty on all of us. So all we can do at this point is to dig deep, be steadfast in our critique of what we see and hear, and continue to challenge ourselves to develop our understanding of the events happening to and around us. All right, that's all I have for you this week. Uh, I still have a lot more to cover on coronavirus, so you guys can ex expect a few more episodes on that this season. Um, if you find information that you'd love to share with me or you think that I need to cover as part of this coronavirus series, um, feel free to message me what you found either by email, DM on socials, or you can actually now leave me a voice message on the Creepy Tech Anchor page. I think this is something that I'll definitely continue to cover, especially as this whole thing unfolds. But as always, if you do have a quick moment, okay. Other than that, if you do have a quick moment, head over to the Apple Podcast app and leave me a review. 
leave me a review. And you can leave me a review. Head over to the Apple Podcast app where you can leave me a review. Where you can leave me a review. I'd really like to know what you think about what is currently going on. You can also follow me on IG at... You can also follow me at IG... You can also follow me on IG at tech underscore creepy and on Twitter at tech creepy. Um, Last of all, you can find the links I mentioned in this episode on my website, elshampole.com. Okay, until next time. Podcast. 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 Podcast.